Well, g'day, Pastor Tom here from Hope Reform Baptist Church. All of our uh, guys here at Hope, welcome. Hope this is a blessing. Uh, be sure to share this with one another, chat to each other about it, throw it on Facebook as a uh, uh, promo it to your friends. Um, send in also your questions either by text, email, through the app, uh, onto Facebook, whatever you want to do. Get some questions in if you want them answered. I'll do an extra video uh, a week if that's going to be helpful. Uh, otherwise, welcome to the uh, manhood and uh, biblical manhood series. This is going to be a blessing to go through for all of us. And, and it'll be helpful to at least ask the first question starting out. Why study manhood? Uh, why that specifically? Why not uh, why not just study families? Why not just uh, uh, just study theology in other areas? Why study manhood specifically? And it's not really going to be a study. This is going to be a uh, uh, an encouragement, an exhortation. Every video. Uh, if we get manhood right, we get every single thing right. You need to understand that. If we get manhood right, if we get men right, you get every single thing else right. If you lose men, you lose the war. Okay, the, the culture war, the religious war, any kind of war you think of, if you don't have men, foot soldiers on the ground, you lose. Uh, and in Christianity, we need to think the same way. Uh, men are, uh, are so many things uh, that Scripture tells us, including the image of God, the glory of God, the worries of God, the fathers given by God to the world, the, the, uh, the workers, the investors, the protectors, the providers, they are so important. And this is by far from being any kind of sexist or misogynistic before anybody tries and even throws that uh, this way. It's not going to be that. If we get men right, we protect uh, women and children. Okay, It's men who marry and lead families. It's men who train up children for the next generation. So our next generation is going to look like the fathers in this current generation. That's a reality. Or another option is that men don't marry and lead women and they don't stick around to train up their children. So what happens in that vacuum? Chaos comes in. Chaos uh, oppresses the mother. Chaos raises and trains the child. Uh, so, so where there is neglect from fathers, chaos reigns and takes the uh, lordship in our culture and our world. <clears throat> uh, Men have power, genuine physical strength, of course, uh, but also that uh, they have uh, those, they the ones who are given to the world to domineer, to, to rule, to be lords, to be kings over this world. And so when that's done well, men, uh, sorry, children and women benefit. So if you want to help men and women, as I do, as Jesus does, as the word of God tells us to, uh, not neglecting the orphan and the widow. Friends, if we want to help them, we need to give to them godly, biblical guys, men who know how to wield the word of God and do their work on earth. So, uh, but, but it goes the opposite way as well. As soon as manhood starts degrading away from God's pattern, as soon as the church does not raise up and train and be very explicit and intentional about teaching what biblical manhood is, women... And children are the first to suffer. Uh, suffer at the hands of men, sexually, physically, uh, financially, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. This is <clears throat> this is so clear from Scripture. And so if we want to help men, uh, women and children, everybody, the whole of culture, the whole of society, the whole of the church, we need to help men. I have some, some stats here that I've been working at uh, in, in this study. 85%... 
In Australia, 85% of single parent families, that is families that don't have a mum or don't have a dad, 85% of those families don't have a dad. If you get 100 families who only have one parent into a room, only 15 of those will be single dads. So 85% of the time, when one parent is leaving, it's the father that's leaving. It's not a man. We have a problem with manhood in our country. Uh, we can also look at this religiously. There's, there's been studies done which show to us, this one came out of Sweden, um, that if a father does not go to church, if a father, like we're talking Christian families here, if you've got a Christian family but the father doesn't go to church, he's not Christian, he's not devout in any way, even if the mother is devout, is regular, is disciplined in her Christianity, you have an average of a 2% chance that those children grow up and remain in the faith, having been successfully discipled. 2%. If you've got a devout mum, but a, but a dad who doesn't give a rip. Conversely, if you have a dad who is devout, disciplined, and intentional about his Christianity, regardless of the mother's involvement, whether she is, whether his wife is devout as well, or uh, that is against church, that makes almost no difference. 65 to 75% of families still produce children who turn into adults within the church if their father was regular and devout. This is simply God's design, that men are leaders. Men show the next generation how and what they ought to be doing. This is the reality of scripture. <clears throat> There's this uh, study that came out of, um, uh, this one is Australian. It said, what has been shown over and over and over again is that father fatherlessness contributes to most of the emotional development. Sorry, fathers contribute. Don't mishear that. Fathers can contribute most to the emotional development of the child. If a father is warm, sustained, continuous, and in relationship with his children, this is the highest contributor. Or another one that came out of America. Uh, David Blankenhorn said, uh, fatherlessness is the most harmful demographical trend of this generation. There's another study which I looked up which says this, there exists today no greater single threat to the long-term well-being of children, our communities, or our nation than the increasing number of children being raised without a committed, responsible, and loving father. That's the entire world. Our communities, our families, and our nations. Goes on to say that fatherlessness contributes to uh, the, following, uh, the following statuses. Poor academic achievement. Low self-esteem. This is the children. Children who don't have dads. Perform poorly in academics. Now, they have low self-esteem. They have psychological distress. They have delinquency and criminal acts at a young age. They have substance use and abuse. They have young, dangerous, uh, young and dangerous sexual behavior. That is, kids starting sex and doing it dangerously younger when there's not a dad around. It also points towards those children growing up and offending in criminal acts, having depression and suicidal behavior. The issues don't go deeper than this. I'll read you just last one. It says, These findings hold true after uh, 
After controlling a range of factors, including mother's involvement, children's characteristics, children's early behavioral problems, family income, socioeconomical status, uh, uh, over time, stepfather involvement, and family structure. In other words, family wealth, a stepdad being around, the socioeconomic, the race, the culture, none of those things change the fact that fatherlessness produces all of those harmful trends. Nothing else can fill the void or fill the vacuum of fathers. The only thing that comes in and replaces the role and responsibility of men is chaos. That is how it has always been. That is how it will always be. When we start looking, you and I, uh, as a church, into this topic of manhood, we're talking order in the world. Let's put the entire universe straight, starting with men. That's God's place to start. <clears throat> when I say, though, when I say, you know, we, we want to help men and then we help everybody else, it is helpful, clarifying, to uh, point out that we don't just mean help those men be men in whatever they mean by being men. There's lots of guys who run away from their uh, uh, baby mamas simply because they want to be uh, real guys. They want to be real men. That's uh, <clears throat> because their definition of manhood is way off. What we want to do is restore men's thinking to biblical standards, which is often going to include making men or, or exhorting men to do what they don't want to do. Uh, but it means helping them do what they, what they need to do, what they're called to do, and what, if they do them, they will eventually be very thankful that they learned to do it. Which, to some of you, you might say, that sounds an awful lot like parenting. Which, of course, uh, it is. Scripture's word for it is, is discipline or training. We need to train men. We need to discipline men. Not ask them what they want to do and help them do it, but teach them what the Word of God says. And then we'll have these tremendous outcomes, the, the, the flow-on effects of gospel ministry and God's kingdom through Christ coming into the world. Uh, in fact, I want to make I want to point out though that this whole uh, uh, idea of training men, training young men, training all men is the job of the church. It is the job of the local church, where there is not strong manhood believed and acted on in a community, the church comes in and solves that problem. Uh, it's the word of God which, which shows us how, how young men should behave, uh, to, to show us the example of teaching and discipling. Let me read to you Proverbs chapter 1. This, this whole book is a, is a book instructing a young man how to live in God's wisdom. Listen to chapter 1. It starts out in verse uh, 8 here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like the grave, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down into the pit. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. These men lie in wait for their own blood, and they in fact set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. 
That's what chaos does. When men, we just saw the example there. It's a mother underneath the rule of the father who is saying these things to the son. It's the father speaking instructions to the son. Manhood is done by men. And we see in Titus that this ministry of raising manhood is the job of the local church. In Titus chapter 2, Titus is commanded by Paul. Older men are to be, in other words, Titus, you train these older men to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Then goes down and says to the young men, uh, he says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Just one word, uh, one, uh, one single word, hyphenated though for them. Keep it simple for the young guys. Self-control. But the point here is that Titus was commanded to do these things. Titus was commanded to train, to teach, to urge. And so we need to see that it's the job of the local church. That's why we're going to have this series. That's why we're going to have this discussion. Open it up. Uh, ask whatever you want. Let's talk when you next see me. Let's talk whenever you see Vic or myself. Uh, this is what we want to talk about. Open up for uh, this church community. Let me let me get into today's uh, last uh, section, which is this, that men are the glory of God. Men are the glory of God. I don't mean man as in mankind. I mean specifically males who are in God's pattern. Men, in other words, you know, X, Y chromosome people, people who are born males, you are to be the glory of God. We see this in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, where we're told that man is, uh, men are the glory of God. It is, it is impossible to overstate that. <clears throat> it, it, but, but what this means is, what, what, what does it mean when he says men are the glory of God? Uh, what it means is that men are the display of what is so glorious about God. Uh, in men, God's glory is put on display for everyone else to see. Or in another way, God displays his glory through the screen or through the the prism of man. Men are to be the showcase of God's glory. It's not just a command, that's a reality. We are the display of God's glory. What this is, 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 is a calling and a responsibility, you have to hear me, that cannot be overstated. It is impossible to overstate this reality, that you are the glory of God, men. This is why, though, let, let, let me explain. That this is why the chaos that comes at the hands of men is so intense, all-encompassing, and deep. <clears throat> uh, if I was to, if, uh, let me uh, make an imagery here. If I was to give you, if I was to give some dude, some twelve-year-old guy, um, a, a went down to the park, saw a guy walking around, and grabbed him and his buddies, and I gave them each. Uh, about a, a golf size, golf ball sized stone, a little rock, gave it to them and, you know, basically said, do whatever you want with it, have fun. Uh, you can't imagine they're probably going to sit there and make a little uh, mural or make a little uh, stone tower. Probably they'll, they'll make some damage. Probably they'll hurt people. Uh, if they've got a good arm on them, they'll probably peg it at each other and give each other some bruises. Uh, all right. Uh, golf ball sized rock creates 
moderate pain, very mild consequences. They had some good fun. If I was to walk down to that same uh, park and hand to each of those young young blokes a a golf ball-sized amount of plutonium. What I've just given them is an enormous <laughs> amount of power compared to the rock. I've given to them an enormous amount of potential energy compared to the rock. And therefore what I've done is I've told them that though they can make something glorious with this, a nuclear power plant, some, uh, some tremendous uh, 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 medical uh, supplies, they can invent something new, they can do whatever they want with this, but very likely what we're probably going to see is a crater the size of Queensland uh, wherever I gave those blokes that, that plutonium. Why? Because the greater the responsibility, the greater the power you've been bestowed on, it can create either the most glorious realities or gloriously chaotic mess. And this is how it is with the, the glory of God being put on display in mankind. The, the intellect that man has, the, the creativity that men have, the, the energy, the strength, the, the, the hormones, the emotions, the mentality, the drive, the love, the, all, the ability to reproduce after oneself. All of these are these enormously uh, 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 potential energy holding realities. Which means when sin comes in and turns man upside down, it has enormously chaotic effects. The mess of sin that we see in the world... The, the chaos that we see, the, the sin, the rebellion, the evil, the transgression, widespread and deep, the real and true suffering at the hand of men or in consequence of men is because of the glorious responsibility we were entrusted with. It either has tremendous outcomes or tremendously terrible outcomes. <clears throat> so... What all of this, uh, this, this means is, and, and let me say very clearly, you aren't glorious in yourself. You are not displaying. All the amazing things that we see about you are not really the glorious things about you. They're the glorious things about God. You've got borrowed glory. But that, that glory that you've been entrusted with has been so adulterated, so turned around, so twisted, so inverted... That you are infinitely, or, or, or let me say, uh, totally and, and thoroughly sinful. What should have been to your glory has become to your destruction, your condemnation, your guilt. It is, uh, it's the book of Hebrews which tells us <clears throat> uh, that Jesus is much more than you or I. He is the picture, the image, the display of God's glory. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He, Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what true glory looks like. That's Jesus, the, the, the glory of God, coming into this world as a man, the glory of God, and bringing those things together perfectly. Bringing God and man together. Jesus is what we should have looked like. 
This world, us, our sin is instead what we look like. But here is the solution. Here is what Christ has done. We have never finished looking at manhood until we look at the person and work of Jesus Christ. It says this, after the same passage in Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sin and sinners. You and I have defamed, destroyed, and and corrupted the glory of God. Jesus has come as the glory of God and has gloriously given himself to take the punishment, the payment, and the condemnation that you and I have deserved so that we can be not just forgiven and then left on 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 the side, not just forgiven and then excused, but forgiven, redeemed, and then made useful for, again, the showing of God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that we all, with uncovered faces, are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the good news of the, of the gospel to men. You had an enormous calling. You have destroyed it. You have lost it. You have uh, 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 inverted it to be for self and for sin and to the uh, degradation of everybody else. Jesus has come and used that glory to uplift mankind again and bestow a, upon you anew the glory of God. This is the glory of the gospel. You, my friends, you need to know, right, despite what the rest of the world is going to try and tell us or respond to us with or has been saying in recent years, masculinity is not toxic. Masculinity is the glory of God. Masculinity is not toxic. It is the display of the glory of God. You have to know that, believe that, and be willing to say that or you won't learn anything else about masculinity. It is the glory of God. You, friend, you are not some useless, uh, helpless, weak addict. You are the glory of God. You are not a beast with animal urges that cannot be controlled. You are the glory of God. You are not some evolved amoeba that has happened to, to look as you do and think as you do. You are intentionally made to display the glory of God. You are not a pervert. Whatever perverted things you've done in the past, you are and have been redeemed to be the glory of God. I look forward to studying more points with you in coming weeks. Let me just finish here with some recap. Uh, Let me say, why is it so hard to be a biblical man? Why is it so hard? If, If I've been entrusted to display the glory of God, why is this so difficult? Number one, because displaying the glory of God is an enormous task. It is a glorious calling which has huge weight. Expect that it is very difficult, very hard. All the difficulties you're having should be expected. Let me say number two though. The reason it's so hard to be a biblical man and display the glory of God is because it takes the death of the previous man, the sinful man, the man from Adam. The man in you with all of his lusts, pleasures, desires, evil wishes, activities, addictions, that man needs to die. And every day he tries to get up out of the grave or down off the cross 
and you need to drive the nails back into his hand so that he stays there and does not overcome you in your actions, your desires, your thoughts, and your words. Displaying the glory of God always has an internal fight back. That's the flesh that we don't get rid of until we die. We say thirdly, though, the reason that it is so difficult to display the glory of God, to be that kind of biblical man, is, and I hope I'm not uh, ruining anybody's outlook of the world, but this world and all of the sinners in it despise God, whose image you are displaying. They despise the glory of God. They fall short of the glory of God. They make war on the glory of God. They murdered the glory of God when he came to earth. It's, uh, it's never a surprise to anybody. If, if you ever walk through uh, maybe a city that's under political turmoil, uh, maybe it's going, uh, maybe it's a documentary you've seen of, of, um, of war-torn Europe or other places, maybe, maybe South Africa, uh, places like that, maybe Iran, uh, you'll see a big picture of some political party or maybe the prime minister or the, 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 the ruling government at the time. And, and uh, it's absolutely no surprise to see that in a city who hates that ruler, that people of that city have defamed or drawn over or graffitied the image. The picture of the, of the glory of that person is being attacked because they hate the person who is behind that image. So it is with us and God. This world hates the glory of God. It is always fighting against it. The more you display it, the more of a target you're putting on your back. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. God is for men. God is for turning you into a biblical man who gives glory to Jesus, having believed on him by faith. God bless. I'll see you next week.